Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, I'm not gonna lie, I feel like I'm still coming down from last week. Had two episodes drop at once, I was forced to talk Marvel movies, and I think I have some residual anger over the way that that ranking went. How are you doing? Are you as agitated as me, or are you feeling good more relating to our looking ahead to 2022, getting some hope and excitement in our lives? I'm so tired. <laughs> I, you know how many movies I still have to see? Christian, you know? so many movies. It's Oh, listeners, if you're anything like us, December is just the month to shove in as many 2021 releases as possible. <laughs> it is so hard. I have like... Four movies I'm trying to fit in this weekend. Oh, boy. I Yeah, I'm going to need to take some use some PTO from work, really to sit down, crank some movies. My dad and I are already making plans to watch The Beatles Get Back, which, is that even a movie? I don't know, but we're going to watch it. It's not. So, good grief. Christian, what is a, a 2021 movie you caught up with recently? I'd love to know whether you recommend it or not, which is one of the more recent ones. The 2021 movie I caught up with recently. Uh, what did I see? What did I, I mean? I saw House of Gucci, which was, I, I, <laughs> um, not to, you know, not trying to betray. To oh, the harder they fall, the harder they fall. I finally caught up with. Okay, look, um, Tyler was not the biggest fan of it because he had some issues with the narrative, and I think there's one major plot hole. That being said, oh my goodness, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movie. Oh, fully agreed. Yeah, if you if the, I feel like movie. the harder they fall wasn't marketed super well by Netflix, but it is a, a damn good movie and so much fun. And so, so much if, fun. if you're looking for a, just a very fun movie to watch, I would definitely recommend The Harder They Fall. It is available on Netflix. Uh, speaking of available on Netflix and movies with predominantly black casts, I watched Passing this week, which is very different from The Heart of They Fall in that one is a you know action-oriented Western and one is a quietly observed drama. <laughs> but Passing, quite good if you're if you're looking for something that is touching on more interesting topics, especially as it relates to just race in our country and how people uh, engage their own race. Uh, and how they relate to the world. Definitely an interesting movie to, to watch and sit with. I think in terms of, you know, narrative or what have you, there are some elements that don't didn't fully work for me with the way the story went, but it looks beautiful, beautiful black and white cinematography, and there's um, some great performances, especially from uh, Ruth Nega. So would definitely recommend that if you are looking for something a little bit more relaxed, or maybe not relaxed, but more, let's just say, uh, more of a drama than an action or a Western, something like that. All right, let's... Um... Let's talk about what we're doing today, Scott. Let's do it. So we decided to take a week and just talk about the top five movies we have reviewed this year. That's right. It's time for some reflection here on the Cinema Drip Podcast. We had our chance to rank the MCU. We had our chance to look ahead to 2022. There's a nice little rhyme, free of charge. But now we're going to spend a couple weeks looking back on this year. So... We'll be talking through the movies that we covered on the show. We're not really going to be talking through them. We are going to celebrate them. Yeah. We have spoken well, at yes. length about yes. each and every <laughs> single one of these movies. We're not going to be revisiting our reviews. So we definitely recommend, if you are intrigued by something we mentioned today, do go back and listen to our reviews. Uh, we had a good time doing those, and they're all available for you for free. Uh, and often they come with guests on them, and so it's always fun to get some of our friends' perspectives too. And it's funny in that we only have one crossover. Yeah, this is true. A lot of great movies on the show, and, and movies that we tend to agree on as good movies, but just 
different uh, di- disagreements in terms of preference, in terms of the absolute best. So should be a fun conversation. Last year we had we also only had one crossover. So I guess maybe that's just a theme for us. Maybe, maybe. Okay, um, let's run down. What were the blunts this year? So let's take a trip down. Nineteen seventy-three was the first one. That's right. I remember that. <laughs> Christian got to pick kick off this year. Nineteen seventy-three. I look back at that year. Three of the most iconic movies from it. Those being Enter the Dragon, The Exorcist, and American Graffiti. Definitely a good start to the year. And then we got weird right away because I was in charge again, and so <laughs> we looked at some movies that blended live action and animation. Those being Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Looney Tunes Week with Space Jam and Looney Tunes Back in Action, and then uh, a movie neither of us really think very fondly of, Tom and Jerry. Movies with Unreliable Narrators was next, I remember, because... You picked it? No, 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 no. (laughs) I picked it for you to curate. Oh, that's right. We did. We had a little fun with the format there. So you did pick uh, a blend, and I was the one who curated it. So we looked at The Usual Suspects, Memento, and Gone Girl. We'll say, really strong month that month. After that... I did uh, 2010's Oscar Best Picture winners. That is right. We had a chance to revisit some of the most acclaimed Best Picture winning films of the years, which were 12 Years a Slave, Parasite, and Christian's beloved Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Uh, May... You know what May was. I do? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Paul Gonzalez, if you're out there. Magic May. Magic May. Magic May. <laughs> That's right. We had uh, a listener recommended blend of the month from our our friend and uh, magician himself, Paul Gonzalez, who uh, led us to discuss The Prestige, The Illusionist, and Now You See Me, which Paul joined us for, and we looked back at our awards for the, for the month as well. And then Hispanic Musical Month. That's right. Another fun one. We got to look at West Side Story, which uh, we were on it, you know, checking out the original in June, getting very prepared for the new release coming. Which has gotten rave reviews. Which I wasn't fully expecting, because of it. Obviously, it's a remake situation, so you never really know how it's people a remake are go of for a it. Best Picture winner. A remake of a Best Picture winner. Yeah. So I'm excited based on the quality of reviews that it's receiving. We also had a chance to look at a very underseen movie, that being Luis Valdez's Zoot Suit, which I would definitely recommend you to check out if you haven't yet. And the new release, In the Heights. We took July off. We did. A little bit of a summer break. Yes, we came back in August, and it was your month in August? Was that... I love this that this became more of like a quiz, because <laughs> I have it pulled up in front of me, and you're trying to Wait, remember. I'm trying to... What? I was in charge. It got weird again, because it always does. It wasn't women directed sci-fi, was it? Yes, it was. It was August, okay. Yes. So we took a look at Mimi Leader's Deep Impact, one of the highest grossing movies, but definitely questionable in terms of <laughs> quality. Uh, then also looked at a much different movie, Fast Color. And then we looked at another new release, which was Reminiscence. Which you liked. A movie that I liked and nobody else in the entire world liked. (laughs) September was easy because that's horror movies and their eventual sequels. That's right. You were back at the controls, Christian, and uh, by and large, a pretty solid month. There's one movie that I definitely disagree with you on in terms of its quality, but... All in all, um, it was that, that was a good one, catching up with some horror classics. And those were The Blair Witch Project and Blair Witch, and then Halloween, the original, as well as Halloween 2018, and then Candyman, the original, as well as the new release, Candyman, from this past fall. Okay, so then we went into your month again. Which I was uh, normal <laughs> this month, and we had a very high-quality selections, which was our Denis Villeneuve blend yes. of the month. Brought on a friend of the show each episode to talk through those movies, which is a lot of fun. And those were Ensemble, Arrival, and then the new release, Dune. 
And then we ended it with 2021 Marvel. Of course. Most recently, looking at Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Eternals, before wrapping it up with our full MCU ranking. So, man, it's a lot of fun to just look back and see all all the movies that we got to cover on this show. We were very diverse this year. We were very diverse this year. We were looking at some classics, obviously 1973, but also, you know, movies like West Side Story that fit into other blends. We looked at a lot of new releases, which are always fun to do. Movies, uh, specifically looking at movies directed by women, as well as featuring them elsewhere. So yeah, all in all, a, a very fun, very diverse bunch here. Uh, we will take a much deeper dive into our year, the year in Cinema Drip next week as the Drippies will return. You can't tell that I'm doing spirit fingers right now. I'm very excited about the return of the Drippies. But this week, we're aiming to be a little more relaxed, take it a little easier, and we're just going to share our respective lists of the top five movies that we covered on the show. So, Christian, not too much ado remaining, but just want to ask, what did you think about as you were formulating this list? Was there anything... I didn't have to do much thinking because uh, when we took our July break, I ranked all the movies that we had seen up until that point, and then each new movie I just slotted it in. Oh. Well, good for you. <laughs> so I, I, it, it, it wasn't difficult. I had two five-star movies that I uh, that I gave. I believe you also had two five-stars. I did. I did have two five-star movies, and there's <laughs> a funny crossover with some of those five-stars, which we'll, we'll get to, I'm sure. Uh, and and uh, many movies that were very lovely to watch. So, it, um, I mean, all-time classics and also all-time favorites are on my list. So it, it wasn't difficult for me. I had it before we decided on what we had to do. Yeah, I just looking at this list, I also had two five-star movies from this past year, but a number of uh, four or four-and-a-half-star movies as well. And often when you're putting together a list like this, maybe, you know, you give something four stars on Letterboxd, but when you're thinking about the year, it leapfrogs a movie that's four-and-a-half stars or something, just on your reflections, how you feel about the movie. So... Yeah, not a ton of thought for me either, really just considering the movies that I felt the strongest about, and they made the list. And I have a few honorable mentions, because of course I, I'm non-committal with these things, but all in all, a really, really good year. Both in terms of picking fun movies to talk about, and good movies to talk about, and the occasional Tom and Jerry thrown in there, just to make sure we're, we're staying on our toes. So, Christian, let's get to it. Your number five movie covered on Cinema Drip this year. Um, why are we starting with my list? Okay, fine. What my? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it 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 was pretty easy. My number five movie of this year was The Prestige, uh, Christopher Nolan, directed by Nolan, um, written by him and his brother Jonathan, based on a nineteen ninety five novel starring Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Rebecca Hall, and also Scarlett Johansson, part of Magic May. So, probably not my favorite blend, but def but this movie is definitely the highlight part. of that blend. <laughs> yes, and uh, it centers to me on the Christian Bale performance, how he is able to play two different figures at once, and we don't know it. Uh, and honestly, Nolan's very hit or miss with me in terms of writing. But one thing I will always give him praise for is the way that he can format his stories, how he cuts it up. And playing with like three, four different timelines, but in a very straightforward story with a twist that to me got me the first time and the second time, I still appreciate what it was able to do. Lovely. Absolutely lovely. Um, the Christian Bale performance, I don't know if it's my favorite performance of what we have seen this year, but it is up there at, as, as a tormented man 
as just a tormented man and the honestly yeah that's 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 the prestige for me at five yeah i remember obviously a movie that i had seen before as well and i remember finding a lot more admiration for the bail performance obviously there's a big twist in that movie and we're warning you now obviously if you don't know it get rid of the episode go watch it check out our episode on that movie specifically but the reveal at the end that he, of course, is playing these twin brothers, I think adds a lot of layers to his performance, and he is obviously an incredible performer. And so that is something that I really picked up on this time around. Also, the craft of that movie, you know, Nolan often works with these big sci-fi or action movie settings, but The Prestige is very different in that it is a period, really a drama with with some light sci-fi mixed in there, but all of the period trappings, I mean, that's something that I tend to go for a little bit stronger than you, but I think we both really appreciated that, which we went into on that review. Uh, I remember having a little fun at the expense of Scarlett Johansson, her uh, her character in that movie, and uh, accompanying accent, not the best, but uh, one of the one of the few uh, cons of that movie for me, definitely one of my favorite Christopher Nolan's. Anything else on the prestige for you, Christian? Uh, no, no. Uh, I think we can go on to number your number five. Awesome. Well, my number five, uh, another movie that, well, actually a movie that I came to for the very first time this year, and boy, am I glad that we did. Uh, my number five is Halloween, the original, 1978, John Carpenter's uh, breakthrough movie. Obviously, I've mentioned a lot on the show when we cover horror that I am a horror acolyte. Uh, I am very new to many of these, many of these classic franchises and characters, and so getting to revisit them usually results in me just giggling and enjoying these masterpieces that I've seen referenced elsewhere, and now I'm discovering the original source material on my own, and I absolutely felt that way with Halloween, but I was really taken aback by how much effort is put into the build-up, and how, I guess, little bloody violence there is in the first hour of that movie until hell is quite literally unleashed in the last 30 minutes. Great performance from Jamie Lee Curtis in her debut film role, and Carpenter's score is completely timeless. That The theme of Halloween just lives in your brain after hearing it, and Michael Myers himself is probably one of the scary, like true scariest characters that I've seen in a movie thus far in my life, so I had a blast with the original Halloween Christian, I know that you do not share my sentiments. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Which I'm still a little bit disappointed by, but if you had to explain your pushback to the original Halloween in brief, like you did on the episode. I, I, I think it's way too slow. I think it's way too slow and doesn't build up the characters for me to care about their deaths. It, it is my is my complaint. Now look, Jordan Carpenter shows a good grasp on directing the, the opening sequence. Yes, is beautifully directed from Halloween. But I I watched it with my sister when she came to visit, and we were laughing at it. At, at it. We were not laughing with it. Let's go with that. Tisk tisk. For shame. And I guess it's what, it's what you want out of a slasher. Like, I don't necessarily know if I want the characters built up. And for me, there's just enough given that you you care enough about their deaths because you know you're watching a slasher this is halloween's not a surprise even if you haven't seen it before and so uh, it's you're not really expecting everybody to make it to the end of the movie so whatever christian your your complaints about the characters aside i think halloween is still a really good time and if you need something to darken up your holiday season maybe go check out our our horror movies blend of the month there and uh, start with the one that we Actually, we started with Blair Witch, so never mind there. Let's start with the middle of that blend, which was Halloween 1978, one of my favorites of this year. Christian, your number four. Uh, my number four was American Graffiti. So, directed by George Lucas, it's from our 1973 blend, written by George Lucas, William Hoyk, and 
uh, Gloria Katz. Yeah, Gloria Katz. Now, a uh, true hangout movie, if there ever was one, one where it's the last day of summer, I believe, and these kids are just driving around as greasers, basically, or greaser adjacent, and just kind of like going on the town until the day breaks and they have to go off to either college or staying in that town or breaking up with people or deciding to stay in their current relationships. And it's a movie, I, and I know I said this on the episode, by all instances, it's a movie that I should hate because I need a, a tad more narrative in my life. But it has a ticking time bomb of when this night is over, these friends are done. And it also has some of the most memorable things that characters have done. Like the drag race against uh, Harrison Ford. <laughs> so good. Bob Falfa. Or, or, or calling the calling the woman or, or um, having seen the woman in red and waiting by the radio station for her to call back. Of course. Yes, or or um, a small dude who... who Terry li- the Toad? Who, who's <laughs> waiting for, for, for... Oh, who lies about having a car to girl and then wrecks car even though it was his friend's. Yeah, I mean, all, all of these things that are in a way timeless where even if, you know, American Graffiti is set in the 50s, it was made in 1973, and it's George Lucas and his collaborators looking back on their teenage years, looking back on their childhood. And, and Lucas said that each of the male characters all represented a different part of him, or maybe it was a different phase in his life. I can't quite remember. But drawing on his own life and, and seeing how much that a person can change is he, you know, you, you have different personas and things that you're trying to be in your life. And he knows there's a part of him that's a little nerdy, like Terry the Toad. He knows there's a part of him that's all bravado, like John Milner. You know, he, he is reflecting on himself, putting himself on screen while also getting nostalgic for this, this period, the, the late fifties, you know? And even so you and I, who were born in the nineties and grew up in the two thousands can connect to some of these things, whether it's, pining after someone you have romantic interest in or trying to be something, you know, a little bit bigger than you're not or dealing with, oh, should I break up with him or her, you know? All of these things that we can relate to still. It makes you wonder what George Lucas, the non-Star Wars director, would have gone on to be. Absolutely. And he had an interest in sci-fi from early on, uh, THX 1138 being one of his pre-Star Wars films as well. So who's to say? But yeah, I mean... American Graffiti is real a real example of Lucas's talent, both as a screenwriter creating these lovable characters and giving an engaging movie despite the the general lack of not lack of plot and narrative, but very thin plot and narrative, mostly a hangout movie, like he said, and his talent behind the camera as well, constructing this movie and the ending too, I think, was a real gut punch and what made this movie stay with me. It was an honorable mention for me, it's not appearing on my list, but uh you might recall from that movie the ending goes to say what each of the characters went on to do, including how, you know, one of them dies in, or goes missing in Vietnam, and one of them, you know, dies early in his life too, and really wrapping up this generally lighthearted movie uh, with a very serious and somber note, which I think kind of seals the whole package together, this kind of fleetingness of youth <laughs> and all that. So, all in all, I, I totally agree with you. One of the better movies that we talked about this year. Uh, what's your number four? My number four comes from our Denis Villeneuve blend of the month, and it is Arrival. Of course, the Emmy Adams performance at the center of this movie is one of uh, the best in his whole filmography. We spent a lot of time talking about it on that episode. She is absolutely incredible in this movie. Uh, not just for embodying uh, a woman, a very complicated woman, but bringing to life this, again, another movie with a twist, bringing to life this 
bizarre sense of time. Somebody who experiences a new way of engaging time and space from this alien race. And it's a movie that is rewarded by repeat viewings because of what happens at the end. And you get to, much like her, experience it a little bit cyclically if you, you know, watch it through once, understand the ending, and then revisit it. And it's a movie that actually improved for me, partially because I originally watched it on my phone, on a plane, but also because I think it, it is just a beautifully made film. It is deeply grounded in, in the real human experience while still having these gigantic spaceships with crazy looking aliens on them trying to teach us another language. Uh, what about you, Christian? I know you were revisiting it as well. What stood out to you on a revisit? Uh, the directing is beautiful. The, the directing for this movie is, is truly, truly wonderful. And the grandiose nature of the spaceships. It's one of those apocalypse movies that I looked at it and thought, this it might actually be how the world encounters alien life. And this could actually be what our future looks like. Uh, which I don't always, I mean, obviously, I don't always get from sci-fi movies. From sci-fi movies, I'm normally trying to parcel out, oh, I see how we got here with uh, Arrival, I'm like, this could happen tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) It really could. Of course, based on the short story from Ted Chiang. But I I think it's also a beautiful example of that adaptation where Villeneuve really draws out, and Eric Heisserer, who also wrote the script, I should say, really draws out the cinematic aspects of the story. And it's a great example of adaptation, a great example of editing, and how editing, of course, is such a key part of the movie-making experience. Mixing in what we think are flashbacks, but are often flash-forwards for the Amy Adams character. Just, yeah, and a really well-directed movie, a beautiful movie, and I, I know you agree, although it's not on your list, just, again, one of the better ones that we visited this year. Where would you say it stands for you in terms of your personal ranking of Villeneuve's films? One? Probably number one. Yes. Yeah. I yeah, I would have to I I would have to re revisit my list as you know, we mentioned there are a few that I have yet to see, of course. But of his movies that I've seen, I have a lot that I love, and so it is certainly up there. Although we'll be talking about another one momentarily, but before we do Christian, your number three. Do you want to do my number three? Oh, that's right. So, of course, a little quirk in the list here. Christian's number three and my number one are actually the same. And so we'll save it to to talk about it near the end as we get to my number one. So we'll skip ahead to my number three, the aforementioned second-appearing Denis Villeneuve film, which is Dune from this year. And as I was thinking about putting this list together, I thought... Should I really have two Denis Villeneuve films on here? Should I not get a little more variety? There are other movies that I loved. I loved American Graffiti. Maybe that could be a number five on my list, and I'll bump Halloween up to four. But I, at the end of the day, had to include these two because they're simply two of my favorite movies that we looked at this year. And that's really what this list is about, you know? Maybe if we were looking to assess quality and all that and simply say the best movies that we looked at, my list may have shaken out differently, but... In terms of my favorites, the movies that I am most excited to revisit, absolutely Arrival and Dune are on that list. And you might remember, I mean, that Dune episode was a lot of fun because, of course, Christian had a very divergent reaction from our friend Paul Yoder and myself. Paul and I absolutely went for this movie. Paul was uh, 
<laughs> he was he went on to say that it was his favorite sci-fi movie of all time, which not quite there for me, but still one of my absolute favorite movies of this year. The epic scope and scale, the grand ambition, things that I adore on a movie screen when they are done well. And I think Villeneuve working with the right collaborators like Greg Frazier, who is his cinematographer there, really bring it to life this incredible sci-fi world that made me want to know more, made me want to dive deep and engage, and I'm reading the book now, thanks for letting me borrow it, Christian, <laughs> as well as some really fun blockbuster movie performances. Nothing groundbreaking, of course, but people who really understood their characters and had a good time in the movie, as, as well as some of the, just the action set pieces being some of the best that I've seen this year. So I was an enormous fan of Dune, Christian. You got to see this movie another time, and it came up briefly on another episode, but how did your feelings about Dune change on a rewatch? Which I was surprised that you did, because you had such a negative reaction to it. Here's the thing, they didn't... Okay, I was too harsh on it the first time. I, I kind of like sat back, tried to enjoy the movie more. Um, I didn't really enjoy the movie still. I still think that its story is, 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 is terrible. <laughs> it is terribly written and formatted. And the the choices on how this part one has gone are are, are not good, <laughs> but I mean, sure, well directed. It is well directed, and the score is phenomenal. Um, terrible story, <laughs> and I don't like. Which is it. your problem with the book too? It's not just the the movie in particular. And, and I, I maintain that it's kind of a lightsaber narrative. Honestly, very much is a lightsaber narrative, despite the people who like go up in arms and go up against that. Look, it, it, it's not for me, but I am glad that there was a movie this year that gave you, that made you very happy. And I, I mean, I know, I hope you know from my track record on the show that I also want to be sensitive to things like white savior narratives. I want to be able to engage in those, knowing that yeah, I'm a, I'm a white guy. <laughs> like, uh, I, I want to be aware of these things because I, I care about these narratives and you know the ways that we, the Hollywood really has degraded other cultures in favor of obviously white saviors. That specific narrative that we're talking here, and I, I thought that Dune the movie did some things to undercut that, where I know that is a common criticism of the book series and was a common concern looking ahead of the movie. And so I thought that Villeneuve did do some things to undercut that. Now, I am not caught up at the point in the book where the movie ends. And so I, I can't say, you know, what my thoughts are as related to the adaptation or where they could potentially take part two. So it's something that I'm certainly trying to remain aware of and remain open to. And obviously you can appreciate a movie while still being aware of its criticisms. I think even thinking about a movie so similar to this in scale and genre and criticism, Avatar, a movie that we talked about in the first year of Cinema Drip, and a movie that I still really love, that has an enormous sci-fi scale, and a movie that is heavily criticized for its narrative. And again, want to be aware of that going into these things. So, a fair pushback, and we'll see what uh, Villeneuve does with part two when it eventually arrives down the road, but I couldn't resist my beloved Dune. So, Christian, moving on to your number two. Cool. So my number two is a uh, Best Picture winner from 1961, and it is West Side Story. It is directed by Jerome Robbins and also Robert Weiss, and it is based on the um, 1957 stage musical of the same name. Uh, it stars Rita Moreno and Natalie Wood, and um, it's a screenplay by Ernest Lemon. Now, here's the thing. This is... Oh, such a beautiful film. It's such a, such a beautiful... People are dancing, and the world is kind of falling apart around them. 
and I, I forgot who I, I was listening to a podcast where someone said this, but you do get the sense that they are dancing in order to try and make sense of this world. And oh, the choreography, astounding. The the performances, so the, the Rena Moreno performance, which is iconic and uh, to me maintains it, it, its stature, is phenomenal. And the directing, the the directing, the use of filters, the use of color. This is a movie that's so popping in, in lights. Um, and it's gotten criticism from people. Look, yes, there is brown face going on in this movie. There is, and it, it's gotten criticism from people over the two leads who they don't think are shine as much as the supporting cast. But to me, there are there are few movies that get to this kind of epic style of just loveliness. I mean, this is an absolute stone-cold Hollywood classic. And when you think about iconic movies of classic Hollywood, West Side Story has to be up there. And it was a, a black mark on my movie-watching career that I hadn't seen it before. And so I'm so glad that we did get to visit it. And you, I mean, hit the nail on the head with so many things about this movie that make it that classic. The incredible direction, both from Jerome Robbins in the choreography and Robert Wise in the filmmaking. And so many of these sequences live on in your mind and you keep thinking about them because they're so full of life, full of energy. Whether it's America, I mean, one of the, I get, I've, I've used this word multiple times in this brief segment, but just one of the most iconic, you know, musical numbers of Hollywood as they dance on the rooftops and sing about America in the different ways that it's beating them down, but also giving them opportunity. And uh, you think about the, these sort of elements of filmmaking that, uh, like, like you said, the use of filters, the use of color, um, and, and how, what's the word, intentional it all was. Some of these things that get lost in modern day filmmaking where, you know, Netflix is pumping out movies and, you know, half of them are competing for Oscars and half of them are just there to be content, which is so cynical, yes, but uh, a movie like West Side Story was, of course, a, a huge hit and this enormous, enormously beloved critical darling. So some of the uh, filmmaking that is that has aged so well, even if it is, you know, stylized or uh, a little bit of its time in terms of some of the, the sets or, or what have you, but yeah, just so glad that we were able to talk about a movie like that on the show this year. Uh, let's go on to your number two. Yes. So my number two, also a Best Picture winner, and it came from our 2010s Best Picture winners blend of the month, and it is 12 Years a Slave, directed by Steve McQueen. Uh, I, as you, meant, and as you know, if you listen to the episode, revisited that movie, really, was really moved by it before, but I think now I was even more blown away by it. And both revisiting it, which it's a very hard movie to watch, obviously. It takes a very serious look at slavery. Um, and very hard movie to watch at times, but in terms of what movies can do, uh, you know, functioning as a historical document, functioning as a work of art, functioning as something that is trying to teach and inform in the ways that we live our lives today, hundreds of years later, I think it is an absolute uh, extraordinary success in all three of those buckets. I think McQueen imprints himself on every frame of that movie and it's just an, an incredible success and so before i you know ramble on more about it um christian i know i mean 2010's best picture winners is one of the best blends that we had this year and so why you know why did you pick it back then and, and how did you feel about rewatching it so the three best picture winners that i chose were all made by filmmakers of color and i'm i'm pro oscars like, here's the thing. I, I am pro-Oscars more so than other people. And the Oscars, yes, 
Um, they are racist. The Oscars, yes, do make mistakes. The Oscars, yes, do not uh, always go for what the masses actually are watching. And sometimes it, it may be a critical darling. It's one of the things that gets nominated, but no one has seen it. And therefore, uh, there is discrepancy there. But sometimes, and honestly, the our number ones and twos are Best Picture winners. Sometimes there is this crowd-pleasing or crowd-connecting is maybe a better word for this movie aspect to them. 12 Years a Slave is, is a wonderful movie, harrowing to watch, that is content to let you sit in some of the terror that occurred and not quickly cut away. You are in long shots and views of the people here. Uh, and that, that, that's that's one of the reasons why I chose it. Yeah, I, that, that last piece you mentioned about the cinematography and the editing in particular, the way that McQueen really draws in the viewer. And I think in a way, I mean, this movie was an Oscar winner in a number of categories. He kind of knew that he's making this audience. He's British, but he's making this for an American audience. And you know, looking to win Academy Awards, predominantly a white audience. And it's a movie that really does not pull its punches towards, you know, the, the white Americans who enslaved Africans, towards Christians who abused their faith and, and twisted the scriptures to justify their slavery, to the people who, you know, allowed this to happen, turn a blind eye, or, you know, sold free people into slavery. Like, he does not pull his punches on those, and that's part of why I think this has lived on as an excellent choice from the Academy. Aside from being a stone-cold masterpiece of filmmaking, like I said, it's a movie that can continue to teach and uh, remind us of our history, not to forget that, because when you forget your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I don't think we're going to be bringing slavery back, God willing. But again, the ways that uh, a movie like that can still inform the ways that we, the, the way that we treat each other, the way that we treat the past and history... I think can still help us to to learn in our own lives, even as it relates very differently to the time period. So, yeah, don't want to spend too much time on these movies. We we talked about them at length in in previous episodes, so I could probably continue uh, <laughs> to talk about that one. So, do check it out. Uh, that was Twelve Years a Slave. So, Christian, uh, you you had made a request that we would touch on your number one last. And so we've jumped around a little bit, and I'll allow that. But it's time to go to your number three because it's also my number one. So. That movie is Parasite. Parasite. It, oh man, it's it, it's basically a perfect movie. It, <laughs> it really is. The 2019 Best Picture winner about a um, a poor family living in South Korea who slowly but surely ingratiates itself into a rich family's um, help staff. And uh, the things take a turn. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> that they do. At the, uh, there are so many frames of this movie that I just remember, and uh, there are so many um, lines or movements or um, endings uh, that just stand out, and it's it, it's memorable in a way where every everything is memorable about this movie. I I could not agree more in terms of how memorable this movie is. And one thing that I love about Parasite is actually our personal relationships to it. <laughs> because the year that it came out, I had a day off from work and I was looking for something to do. And I just wanted to go to the movies by myself. And so I, I got to see this movie by myself on a random weekday. And it 
it was, you know, something I've been excited about and I was really, I was taken by it, but it didn't ultimately end up being one of my favorites of that year. And you were utterly blown away <laughs> how this movie could be off my top 10 list of that year, especially because of some of the movies that uh, were on my list that you disagree with. My beloved Ad Astra, I still, I'll still go to bat for you, baby. But we, we did an episode, I'm trying to remember, did we actually release the episode of our shared top 10 list of that year? No, but it, uh, this laptop I'm recording on, it's it's on here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe if we ever get big enough, it can be like a Patreon reward or something. It was like three hours. It took forever to record. But oh, you, you really ripped into me. And of course, if you look at my uh, my logging of Parasite on Letterboxd, it goes from four stars to four and a half stars to five stars when we revisit it for the show. I think it's just an absolutely ridiculous, incredible movie. And the reason that it's number one for me as opposed to 12 Years a Slave, which, I mean, it was tight. Because I, I was so moved by 12 Years a Slave and so blown away by the filmmaking. But in terms of just personal favorites, acknowledging that Parasite has a you know has an agenda that it, I think communicates very, very clearly. It's very lucid about what it's about. But also is ridiculously entertaining. And Bong Joon-ho, I mean, he is a, such a fun filmmaker. And the movies that he's made are murder mysteries and monster movies and sci-fi action movies like he's been all over the place and uh, Parasite brings together a lot of the things that he was working with into this absolutely perfect package one that just lives in your brain um I I mean I even connected with a co-worker recently because they mentioned it and I you know brought up the gift that was Jessica like yeah University of Illinois Chicago I forget the little thing but he was like cracking up that you know Illinois, I knew what he was talking Chicago, about yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just such, such, such a good movie. Uh, and one that we both obviously had a lot of affection for. And I'm glad that we revisited it for the podcast. I just rev it on so long about Parasite Christian. And there's so much more that we could say. But listeners should listen to our episode about it. Anything you want to add? Because I just talked for like a minute straight. <laughs> no, phenomenal performances too. That you just, they're great. I, every single one of them. Such a good ensemble. Yeah. All right, Christian. It's time. We went through my list. Now it's time to cap off yours. What is your number one? Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, 2014 Best Picture winner, written by Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, Nicholas Jacoboni, Alexander Dinataris Jr., and Amanda Bow, directed by Iñárritu. Um, I, I, I don't know what more I can say, because we spent an hour, more than an hour, talking about this movie. One of the only times where you were more than happy to let the clock roll because it's a movie that is so beloved to you. It it and, and it is very beloved to me. And and um, I like in terms of personal favorites, there there are movies that that clinch you in terms of what movie making can do. And this is a movie that does so. And um, speaking not just about my love for it, but it's a very obtuse movie in the sense that every single aspect of filmmaking is like front and center there's no subtlety here and if you are if you were like me and you didn't really know what movies could do the only like movie in the canon quote-unquote whatever canon means that i had seen up to that point was star wars um and everything else was just like random movies i would request i think going to the movies was like one once a year thing twice a year thing for me this was a movie that i'm like oh you can move a camera this way oh you can act this way Oh, you can have a story that goes this way. Oh, you can blend fantasy and real life this way. Oh, and, and then afterwards, when I learned about the story behind Paris, I'm like, oh, you can have metatext in this way. So, um, without taking too much time, is there anything you want to add about Birdman? 
I mean, it's it is a movie that the first time I saw it, it like you know blew me out of my chair in the movie theater. I had to like pick myself, I like you know peel myself off the back wall and get back to my seat. Like just a movie that I went goo goo gaga for. And revisiting it, I think unearthed a few problems that I had with it. But I know on that episode, I I felt like I played the villain almost because it's a movie that is so dear to you, and I had to talk about some of my problems with it. But still. I docked it a half star on Letterboxd. It's a four and a half out of five stars for me. It's still a movie that I think is a ton of fun. And I, I mean, Emmanuel Lebeski is just an absolute lord of cinema. And his, you know, hidden one or camera work throughout the movie is absolutely incredible. And it is so alive. And the way that he and Inyaritu move through this, uh, largely the, the set just being the theater that the eventual play is put on in, like the way that they use the space and involve the actors is just incredible. And I'm totally with you in that it is a great example. And I mean, a great entree for people of what movies can be, what they can do. It, it is a totally a movie to check out if you are like, man, I want to get into movies, but I don't necessarily know like where to start. Uh, like watch Birdman, Best Picture winner, from, you know, Enyuritu, who's a, a great director of international cinema. Great performances from legends like Michael Keaton and uh, Edward Norton. And young people like Emma Stone, you know. I mean, it is a blast. And there, there is so much to enjoy about that movie, even though I now have some problems with it. I, and uh, the last thing that I'll say, which, which I, don't, I don't normally touch on this, but, I, I mean, I watched the Oscar ceremony where Birdman won. And watching a Mexican filmmaker go up on stage... And, and Inarito has very much spoken about his race before and, like, what it means for him to, you know, have gotten so much acclaim. I mean, he won Best Director at the Oscars two years in a row. Which, how many people have done that? Like, I think one. <laughs> might be him, maybe someone else. Uh, and to uh, to have seen that and to have that be, like, one of the best movie theater experiences, I mean, it, it gave me hope as, like, a Peruvian filmmaker. It's like, yeah, like, one day I could do these things. I don't know when that day could be but someone came here and, and and did and gave me a theater experience that i hope to give other people and look i don't i don't mean to get too sentimental over this but it when i think about the fact that like why why am i so in love with the movies why do i do this darn podcast why do i care so much about them part of it is reasons like that like you know thinking about you know you sitting there and seeing this person get up there and win an award as big a deal as best director and best picture at the oscars and i mean he won his best screenplay too like taking home oscars that month the fact that that could inspire you in some way is just so delightful and that's what we love about the movies like we come looking for a good time we come looking for good stories but we also like we want to be inspired we want to get out of our our normal lives for a second and see these amazing amazing stories on screen and the fact that Birdman gave that to you is so much more meaningful than, you know, what any, like, one review could be. And what's funny is, like, Birdman is a little bit of a divisive movie, and so there are some people who just absolutely hate it. And so maybe they would rip on us for <laughs> for, for the love that we've shown it and for how sentimental we've gotten over, you know, or at least I've gotten over your experience. But regardless, like, that is why we do this podcast. It's because we love the movies and... We're literally here because of moments like that in our lives where, like you said, you didn't even use to, like, you didn't use to watch that many movies. And now you're one, like a bigger cinephile than me <laughs> at times. You're introducing these things to me, get me hyped about stuff coming out next year, making me go see other movies with you at the theater that I wasn't going to see myself. Like, I just, I, I love that. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that there's a movie like that for you and that movie being Birdman. Even if it's like a movie that hasn't aged flawlessly for me, like, that's what it's all about. And so, 
your number one favorite movie that we covered on the show this year and probably you'll find a way to make it your number one movie next year even though i'll veto it if you try to bring it up on the show again <laughs> so let's let's recap at number five i had the prestige and you had halloween 78 and at number four i had american graffiti and you had arrival and at number three, I had Parasite, and you had Dune. And at number two, I had West Side Story, and you had Twelve Years a Slave. And at number one, I had Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, and you had Parasite. Look at that, Christian. Uh, any any movies you want to throw a quick honorable mention to? One that didn't make your list, but almost almost found a spot, or would have been on there if there was a six through ten. Uh, Gone Girl was on the outside looking in. Absolutely, I that is a movie that I was I. I really like David Fincher. I tend to really like David Fincher. That was one that I hadn't seen yet, and yeah, that one blew me away. <laughs> Not just in how darkly fun it is and the ridiculous performances at the center, but also just the way that it got my mind moving and thinking. I feel like a lot of times Fincher's movies are more about the puzzle that people are solving or the incredibly meticulous filmmaking of his, but that movie just gets you thinking, especially if you're watching it with your partner, your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever. You just look at them and you're like, oh no, <laughs> do we have to talk after this? So, that is, yeah, fun one to watch with your if your person, if you have one. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm my, my person or my roommates at this point. And <laughs> Who are we, Tyler? What have we done to each other? And, and, and one's engaged, so... Timmy's <laughs> off the market. Yeah, you and Tyler can unpack your roommate relationship. So that is our top five movies that we have each covered on... Or I guess that we both covered, but our respective top five favorites for movies that we covered on the show this year. Coming up next week... I mentioned it earlier, but it is the full-blown, roll-out-the-red-carpet, Drippies 2021. That is still probably the worst name for the that we could have found, but hey, I kind of love it. <laughs> Christian, go ahead and give the listeners a, a reminder, if they, don't, if they didn't listen to the episode last year, what this episode looks like. We give awards for Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Screenplay Director, and Best Picture, simply from the candidates that we have seen this year. We have 34 movies as candidates. Oh my goodness! It it's I don't, it was only like an hour and a half last year. Uh, this year, I'm hoping we don't push the two hour mark. I hope to keep it an hour and a half or as less. I, as am I. <laughs> no, nominations have we have disagreed on some nominations, but we are being very civil right now. Yeah, we're really just trying to figure out how many space, like how many awards Tom and Jerry should take. It's hard to not give everything to it, so we're trying to hash that out. I mean, we're trying that to Colin Jost performance really going to run away with best supporting actor. We're trying to see if we should fit in. Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, just so uh, that it can finally be eligible for just, these awards. Of course, just a fine work of cinema. We'll have to fit in that bonus episode so it can be eligible. I don't like making fun of movies that I haven't seen, but who names it Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City? I'm sorry. What? Well, it's it's like a place in the games, you know? They go to Raccoon City in Resident Evil, but... Are there raccoons there? No, it's just called Raccoon City. Then that makes no sense. Well, maybe there's raccoons there. I haven't played Resident Evil. <laughs> All right. But yes, that will be next week, and then we go on hiatus until the first or second Friday of January. We'll have to see. Yes, uh, we will have that nailed down by next week for sure, but just like last year, we'll do the drippies, we'll wrap up the year in style, and then it's uh, squeeze in every 2020 movie that you can time as we work on our respective favorite top 10 lists, or our top 10 lists of 2021, which we always kick off the year with. I say always, we've done it once, but <laughs> that's what we do here on the show. We will kick off January 2022 with our top 10 list of the year. So listeners, what is my ask for you? Of course, it is to submit any thoughts or feedback you have on the show, especially just reflecting on this whole year. 
so that we can talk about it, feature some listener feedback on the Drippies for 2021. Um, thanks again to folks like Paul Gonzalez and Braxton Cody and Maddie Halter, who shared some feedback that we put on the Marvel show, which if you didn't listen to, you should listen to. It was a good time. But we would love to know your favorite blends of the month or any favorite movies of yours. Maybe something that you got to watch for the first time because we covered it on the show. Would love to know if you had any favorites come out of this year. So, Reminder that our email is cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We're regularly checking that. Love to feature listener feedback on the show. And we're definitely looking for some as we look ahead to, you know, the yearly wrap-up. So please do send us your thoughts at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Um, so before you ask me if there are any final thoughts, uh, for one of my Bible study hangouts for the Bible study I lead at UCLA, I invited them all over and watched Birdman. Yeah. How'd that go? Um... I think pretty good. Uh, they, you kicking any kids out of the Bible study or? Oh, uh, several. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, really paring it down to the you know the true believers, of course. <laughs> one guy said he loved it. It's one of the best things he's ever seen. So that guy's that guy's staying. <laughs> he knows how to work his leader. Uh, a few other thoughts for you, listeners. Of course, uh, if you can, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We sincerely appreciate that. It helps us grow and reach new listeners. And leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or if your podcatcher takes reviews, we sincerely appreciate those five-star reviews. You can also follow us on social media. Christian and I are on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. I'm still waiting for a listener to like explicitly comment something on a Letterboxd review. Would sincerely appreciate that if you do it. So make my day, listeners. If you're out there, get your Letterboxd up and running. Start logging movies with us. Leave me a comment. Uh, it'd make my day. You can also follow uh, myself on the show on Twitter and Christian on Instagram. Christian, you already covered your final thoughts, so I don't even have to ask you. You know, if you're out there, you need a good activity to pare down a Bible study or something, check out Birdman. <laughs> Send us your feedback for next week because we're doing the drippies. The drippies are back. We're rolling out the red carpet. We're doing the show in tuxedos. We're doing the show in tuxedos, right, Christian? Um, um, yeah? Uh? Yes, that's a yes. We're doing it. So until that time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>